following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, October 15th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning again, um, Redemption Hill. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, it, is, it is truly a joy to be able to gather together with you. Uh, last week we had our, our grace gathering Sunday night. Um, told you we, uh, we, we had almost 150 men, women, and children out, and we had a wonderful time. Um, uh, we, uh, we had a chili, chili cook-off that we talked a lot about last week. Um, I did not have a single bite of chili, uh, to the disappointment of, of many of you. Um, if you. If you were here last week, then you heard me talk about what happens to me when I eat uh, spicy or hot food in general, is that I start to hiccup wildly, loudly, uncontrollably. Um, and so I just want to give you an update, um, uh, just, <laughs> just to let you know that uh, AI has officially taken over the world. Um, at the church, we often get emails from groups that want to sell some product or service to you as a, as a church. It is essentially church spam. Um, and so I got an email on Tuesday from one of those, and I, and I promise I could not make this up. The title of the email was Congregational Growth, Fewer Hiccups. Um, <laughs> and, and so either one of you made up an email account to, to do that, or AI has, has taken over. Um, but I did, in fact, have fewer hiccups this week. Um, we are uh, in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, really taking a close look at how the author of Hebrews is making a compelling case that Jesus is better than everything and everybody that we would set our hope and confidence on. This letter to the Hebrews was, was written to Jewish men and women who had become followers of Jesus. They, they had uh, started to believe in Jesus. Then not long after they had started following Jesus, they began suffering from persecution. Uh, they experienced difficult times and they began to be tempted to leave Jesus, to leave what they said they believed because it just felt too hard. They had believed and, and trusted in Christ and now seemed to be turning away from them. And so the author of Hebrews is, is pleading with them, imploring them, calling out to them to see and fix their eyes on Jesus, to truly consider Jesus, to see the greatness of Christ, to see that, that Jesus is truly better than everything else that you can put your hope in, that even in the face of difficulty and suffering, that Jesus is still better. That is the focus of, of Hebrews, is to communicate that Jesus is better, that he is superior to everything and everyone. Last week, we looked at the first six verses of chapter three, specifically seeing that, that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we consider Jesus, that we see others and ourselves in a better way. That when we see Jesus, that we see that Jesus is better than all of our heroes. It's specifically that Jesus was better than Moses. And when we fix our eyes and consider Jesus, then we find a better home, a better house. Today we are going to be looking at the, at the verses um, that were read earlier, chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And this chapter is really the start of something in the letter of Hebrews that is often referred to as the warning passages. Uh, passages that seem to be warning us against something. The, the author is, is going to continue to tell us how great Jesus is, but it's going to come 
with a warning, a warning to never leave our hope and our confidence, to never stop looking to Jesus. It's going to come with, with reminders that for those who have truly trusted in Jesus, that you can't and you won't simply leave Jesus behind. The author is, is pleading with us today to continue on in that, to continue on seeing Christ, to keep on trusting in Jesus. The author seems to be warning the listener, don't look back, don't turn away, look forward, press on. Keep going towards the great reward of being with Jesus. And while these, these verses uh, certainly paint a picture of a warning, we don't want to lose the context of the rest of Hebrews. Chapter 3 really goes all together, and the entire chapter is, is, is pushing us towards what we talked about in verse 1 of chapter 3, to consider Jesus, to fix our gaze intently on Him. These verses here in 7 through 19, aren't meant to stand alone. They aren't intended to, to be taken by themselves. They are intended with the rest of Hebrews to encourage and strengthen us to continue fixing our eyes in Jesus. And so in, in, in many ways, this is, this is part two of what we started last week. We are looking today to see and consider Jesus and then learn together what happens when we do. How does Jesus transform us? What does it mean for us? And so first today in verse 7, we see that when we see and consider Jesus, we hear a better voice. The author of Hebrews starts off by saying in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Many of us long to hear God speak to us. We want God to speak to us. Especially when we are in the midst of difficult moments. Uh, especially when, when, when difficult moments seem to go on and on and don't seem to stop. We want to hear from God. We want God to speak to us clearly. Well, Hebrews is telling us that the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us very clearly. Apparently, I, I don't uh, enunciate very well, at least not at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Um, <laughs> I have, I have shared before that they, they literally do not ever get my name right. And I'm not using hyperbole. They don't ever get my name right. I have been called Jim, Ted, Tom. My name is Tim, by the way. Um, and sometimes it's really far out there. And, and, and there was this one day, my family still makes fun of me because they just kept calling an order out for zip. And, and, and I'm the only one standing there, just looking around, waiting for Zip, and they just keep saying it. And eventually I have to say, I'm Zip. Um, it, it, it happened again recently. I was waiting for my order, and they just say, order for Jib. And, and all I want to do is look at them and say, do you know anyone named Jib? Have you ever heard of a Jib anywhere in this world? Probably not, but you've probably heard of a lot of Tims. Um, I apparently do not speak clearly enough, but God speaks very clearly and directly to his people. It is, it is very easy and very natural to feel like God is not speaking to us, like we can't hear what he wants for our lives, to feel like he is silent when we need him. That silence feels so hard. It often leaves us feeling frustrated and, and bitter. When we experience difficulty, suffering, and trials, we want to hear from God. We want God to tell us exactly why this is happening. 
We want him to speak to us and tell us, when is this going to be over? And when we don't get those answers, we feel like God is is just being silent or unclear. And we start to question him. We start to complain against him. But the truth is, is that God has spoken very clearly. He has spoken very clearly in the past, and he is speaking very clearly to us today. This verse, Hebrews 3, 7, starts with the words, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... The author is, is, is going to be quoting here from Psalm 95. He is about to quote David, the psalmist, something that was written more than a thousand years before Jesus. But here in Hebrews, there is no mention of David. There is no mention of David writing this. The author attributes these words, the words of Psalm 95, to God, the Holy Spirit. God is speaking. When the author says, as the Holy Spirit says, he is using the active present tense. He doesn't say here, the Holy Spirit once said, or said many years ago, the Holy Spirit says, God, the Holy Spirit was speaking directly and actively to people in David's time. The Holy Spirit was speaking directly and actively to the Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit is speaking directly and actively to us today. And he will continue to speak directly and actively to the generations that come after us. All of the Bible is God speaking actively and directly to his people. So many times when we read God's words, our, 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 thoughts, our thoughts move towards the fact that we are reading a very old book. And we're just trying to figure out how that impacts our lives today. But the truth is that the Bible, the Bible is God's word speaking to us today, speaking to us now. In just a few verses, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the author reemphasizes this same point by telling us the word of God is living and active. These words that we read are God's active voice speaking to us today. Not only does God speak to us clearly, but for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who have turned our eyes and said, yes, I trust in Jesus, then we will clearly hear God's voice. The rest of verse 7 says, after he says, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, when you fix your heart on Jesus, you hear God's voice. For us as Christians, this is the most important voice that we can hear. There's so many voices speaking today. We listen to all too many voices. Everyone has an opinion on what is important, on what you should do with your life Everyone has an opinion on whose side to take in situations and what we should value. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And and we get to hear Jesus' voice. We get to listen to him. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is the voice that we desperately need. Desperately need to follow. His voice is is better than every other voice because it is perfectly true and faithful and loving. You can depend on it. You can be confident in it. You can hope in it. If you are a Christian, you should long to hear Jesus. We should train ourselves to hear the voice of Jesus in the chaos of all the other voices, trying to draw our attention away from him. So that means that we seek to understand and listen to Jesus. We work hard to see Jesus in the Bible and see how that impacts our lives in the midst of all the chaos. There's a documentary that came out years ago called March of the Penguins. 
It's about penguins. Um, uh, it, is, it is fascinating and it's moving. I will be honest, I've never cared about a penguin one day in my life. But I watched this documentary and I just wept through the whole thing. Um, there's a part of this documentary where the parents have to leave the babies to go get food. They travel hundreds of miles and are gone for weeks at a time. And, and, and all these hundreds of penguins at the same time all, all leave. And then at the same time, they all return. They, they all come back. And, and you see in the documentary hundreds of, of just really, really hungry babies crying out. And their parents come back. And this amazing thing takes place. This amazing thing that it just seems unbelievable takes place. They all start using their voice at the same time. They are screaming out this obnoxious honking over and over again. But somehow in the, in, in the midst of that, in the continuous noise, the children are able to pick out the voice of their parents. That somehow in this amazing way, they are able to connect together with their parents. Scientists say that the penguin child recognizes the voice of their parents in 0.2 seconds. It doesn't even take a full second. All these voices are crying out. You can't make any difference in any of them. And yet, the, the, the child, the baby, they, 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 they hear that. They hear their, their parents' voice and they say, that's my mom. That's my dad. They're the ones that are going to provide for me, take care of me, and protect me. It's this beautiful thing. And then they find each other. And then in the documentary, the parent begins to regurgitate up the food. <laughs> and spit it into the baby's mouth, and it's the most disgusting thing you've ever, ever, ever seen. It, it moves from beautiful to, I never want to think about that again. Um, but that child needs less than a second to identify the voice of its parent and move towards them. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. If you are a Christian, you should want to hear the voice of Jesus. You should long for it. In the same way that a, that a hungry child longs for food, you should want to hear Jesus speaking to you. You should want to hear his voice and follow after him. God is speaking to each of his children today, and he is speaking most clearly through his word. When you see and consider Jesus, you get to hear that better voice, the voice of the one who provides for you and protects you, cares for you, loves you, provides for you a, a foundation and a hope that you cannot find anywhere else. If you are a part of his family, then you will hear the voice of Jesus. And when you hear the voice of Jesus, you will want to follow after him. So when we see and consider Jesus, we hear his better voice. And then secondly, when we see and consider Jesus, we receive a better, more perfect faith. Verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 3, we are told... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. As we mentioned earlier, the author is quoting here from Psalm 95 and is, is looking back even further to the time when Moses would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved by Egypt for over 430 years and God used Moses to set them free. 600,000 men, probably well over a million men, women, and children started the journey to the promised land, were set free. The images that you've seen of this will never do it justice. 
For 40 years, they saw God at work. 600,000 men had been set free from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And they didn't just get set free. They left rich. Exodus chapter 12, verse 36 says that the Egyptians were so glad to see them go that they let the Israelites have whatever they asked. They left that place with riches. Over a million men, women, and children had walked through the middle of a parted Red Sea and protect them from from an attacking army. They had been led by a pillar of of cloud and and a pillar of fire at night. God had done some of the greatest miracles in history, miracles that most people around the world still know about today. They had seen God move in amazing, miraculous ways. And yet, when they encountered difficulty, when they encountered suffering, they started to grumble and complain against God. They don't just complain about their circumstances. They start to turn away from God. They started to say that they wished that they were back in Egypt, back in the place that they had been enslaved. And God says to them, Deuteronomy chapter 1, they're not going to enter his land. Only Joshua and Caleb out of the entire generation will enter his land because you didn't believe in me. Two out of the 600,000 entered the promised land. They saw God at work for 40 years, and yet they still hardened their hearts. Verses 15 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 3 gives us more detail what happened with the Israelites. In verse 16, we're told that they rebelled against God. In verse 18, they were disobedient. And in verse 19, their rebellion and disobedience culminates in unbelief. They were unhappy with their circumstances. That led them to turn their eyes away from God and onto themselves. And that led to rebellion and sin. And that sin led to unbelief. They did not truly have faith in God. They believed in him as long as things were going well. These men and women had seen God do these amazing things, and yet they grumbled, murmured, and complained when difficult times happened, and it led them to unbelief. I know for many people, we've, people have heard these verses over the years, and it has led people to question whether they could lose their salvation, whether they had already lost their salvation. I actually lived this for a number of years. I was constantly question, questioning whether I was sure enough to be, to be truly a Christian, whether I had enough faith or the right kind of faith to be, to be saved. I stayed up at night often wondering if I had sinned so much that I had lost my salvation. But these, these verses are not meant to keep you up at night questioning and doubting whether you are really a Christian or not. They are not saying that you can lose your salvation. These verses are actually meant in the context of Hebrews to build your confidence and hope in Jesus. They're meant to be an encouragement to, to, to remind you to continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. Never stop. They're meant to remind you to keep believing in Jesus no matter what the situation. The Holy Spirit is saying to you and I, don't be like the Israelites. Keep believing in Jesus. He is better. He is faithful. And if you are a part of his house, you will keep believing. You will stay confident in who Jesus is. Hebrews 3 shows us this clearly. Verse 14 of Hebrews 3, in the middle of of describing what the Israelites did, the author tells us, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
This is very similar to verse 6 that we read last week. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Hebrews 3 does not say that if we hold fast our confidence, we will become a part of God's household. We will become a partaker of Christ. Now, Hebrews 3 is, is describing for us. It's, it's showing us what true faith in Christ looks like. So, so, so then what do we do with this? How do we know if we have this genuine saving faith? The answer is right there. Those who persevere in faith and hold fast and firm their original confidence in Christ all the way to the end. That means fix your eyes on Jesus, put your confidence in Christ, and never stop putting your confidence in Christ. Hebrews 3.14 is written in the, in the perfect tense. It, it means that our belief began in the past and it continues on. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold firm our confidence to the end. The author is, is simply describing for us the better faith that we have in Jesus. He is showing us what it really means to be a part of God's house and a partaker of Christ. You cannot truly partake of Christ, truly believe and trust in him, share in his heavenly calling and be a part of his house and then lose that salvation. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the object of our faith, we see that we have been given. It is a gift that we have been given. Our faith is better because it has been given to us by Jesus. He has given us a faith that will not turn away. In Christ, we have been given a better and more perfect faith. Ephesians chapter 2 describes this. After describing our condition, being lost and dead in our sins, we're told that, that faith is a gift from God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, fix your eyes, that same idea, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith begins with Jesus, and it is completed and perfected by Jesus. Those who have truly believed, truly put their faith in Christ, they will hold on to their hope and confidence until the end. That is, that is a gift. That is something we should treasure. This kind of faith defines the household of God. God's people hope in Him. God's people are confident in Him. They hold fast to Jesus. God's people persevere in their faith. They continue to hold on to that same confidence and hope. That is evidence of someone belonging to God's household. The faith that Christ gives us is a better faith that is a gift from God, but it doesn't mean that we never question or doubt. It doesn't mean we never sin, but we won't permanently turn away from Jesus. Jesus is very, very patient with his people and very patient even when we feel like our faith is failing, even when we, when we feel like our faith is not enough. We often have to cry out with a man in Mark chapter 9. A man wants his son to be set free. He wants his son to, 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 to experience healing. And he comes to Jesus and he, and he says to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. Even though he didn't feel like his faith was strong, he still knew where to turn. He still knew the one that could help him in that. Even when we feel like our faith is weak, we still turn to Jesus. We still fix our eyes on Jesus and cry out to him, help me, help me in my unbelief. Even when we feel like our faith is weak, we turn to the one who is the, who is the perfecter of our faith. And so, and so even if we've experienced long times where we feel like we just don't know, our goal, our hope, 
is to remind one another, is to, is, is to call to each other to turn to Jesus. When we sin, we repent and confess and turn to Jesus because we know that our hope and confidence is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. These verses are, are, are given here to remind us to keep trusting and believing in Jesus. Our faith begins with him and it is perfected in him. So fix your eyes on Jesus today. When we do, we are given this better faith. But then thirdly, we see that when we see and consider Jesus, we will be a better family. Verses 12 through 14 of of Hebrews chapter 3. We're told, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have been reminded that we must continue on. We must never stop believing in Christ. We've been reminded to continue fixing our eyes on Jesus and that we receive this better faith. But then he gives us a responsibility. He gives us a responsibility, a part in this, a responsibility to those around us, a responsibility to help strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters. We aren't left alone in this. We aren't left alone to consider Jesus. God has given us a church, a group of people to, to, to help keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. See to it literally means to pay close attention, to watch out for one another. Do all that you can to help in this. We all have a responsibility to watch out for one another. We're to make sure that our brothers and sisters don't don't turn to sin and turn away from the living God. We have to watch out for one another so that sin doesn't take hold of any of our hearts and lead us to stop believing that God is who he says he is. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. This is the second time in this chapter he refers to these believers as brothers and sisters. How do we... How do we practically play out what it means to be a family of believers? It's difficult sometimes to know what that actually means. One of the most important ways that we are a family is right here. If we are a family, then we look out for one another. We make sure that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving, hard and bitter heart. We make sure that we are doing all that we can. This is a responsibility that we all have a part in and the stakes are serious. It's not, it's not just something nice to do. Our hearts are at risk every day of becoming hardened and bitter by sin. Sin is working hard. The deceitfulness of sin is a path that leads to unbelief. Sin is a deceiver. We don't take sin seriously enough. I don't take sin seriously enough. We convince ourselves too often that it is just simply a small lie, that we are justified in our gossip, that our lust and greed don't really hurt others, but it all works together to deceive you, to lie to you about who God is and what he is able to do. All sin, all sin is trying to convince you of a lie. All sin is at work to try to convince you that God is not all that you need, that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't know, that God really can't help in this situation. That God doesn't really care. 
And once those thoughts get into your head, your heart toward God starts to become bitter and hard. But God has given us such wonderful gifts. And one of them is friends and brothers and sisters who come alongside of us and say, we are in this together. I'm going to help you in this. And they gently remind us of what is true. And they gently and lovingly remind us to turn our eyes to Jesus. We are told, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. This is a daily thing. When we isolate ourselves from the church, when we isolate ourselves from other Christians, we don't allow God to work in the way that he says he wants to work. We need to allow people into our lives to encourage us, to help keep us from sin, to keep our hearts from becoming hard and bitter. God has decided to use you and me in this. He has decided to use you and and me to keep one another fixed on Jesus. He has used sinful, flawed people to help keep us fighting against sin, to keep us faithful and to keep us full of hope. One of the means that God uses to keep you and sustain you is through other Christians throughout your entire life. We are all placed in a church together so that we can hear the encouragement of others. We can hear from them, don't don't go to sin. We can hear warnings from them to continue to be steadfast in our commitment to Christ. Pastor Sam Storms put it this way. One of the greatest lies that many of us in the church believe today is that we don't really need other Christian men and women to exhort us and encourage us daily. We need to let other Christians speak into our lives. It's not optional. If, if you don't know me well, one thing that is true about me is that I generally speaking like people. Um, I enjoy talking and get to know people. I enjoy getting to talk to, to know many of you. Uh, it actually takes a lot for me to not like you. Um, so uh, I'm going to describe for you uh, and tell you about someone that I do struggle to like. Um, I'm going to name him and everything. Uh, I don't go to Redemption Hill. Um, uh, his name is Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Um, there's, there's a lot right, just right there. Um, Tom Brady was the quarterback uh, for the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He won seven Super Bowls uh, and is just universally disliked by any reasonable person. Um, you, you don't get three sentences into his Wikipedia page without having to read this. Due to his numerous records and accolades, many sports writers, commentators, and players consider Brady to be the greatest football player of all time, which clearly shows you that Tom Brady wrote his own Wikipedia page. <laughs> but even as good as Tom Brady thinks he is, if he looked at the rest of his team and on game day and said to them, I, I'm good. I don't need you guys. I don't need anyone but me out there. I'm just that good. If he looked at his coaches and said, no help needed today, he would lose every game a thousand to nothing and I would be so happy. <laughs> we all need other people in our lives. No matter how good you think you are, No matter how long you've done this, no matter how long you've been a Christian, how much you've served the church, how many classes you've taught, you need other people every single day to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. This is a command that we don't take very seriously, but this is serious stuff. 
We hear encourage one another daily and we act like it's something nice to do if we get the chance, if we remember. But the stakes are high. We are called to encourage one another every day so that none of us would have a hard, bitter heart towards God. That means this is vitally important. When you encourage someone to consider Christ, you are jumping into their life and saying, I'm with you, and I don't want sin to take hold of your heart and lead you away from trusting and believing in our beautiful Savior. Do you love your brothers and sisters enough to do this? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, and then we need to encourage and exhort and plead with others to do the same. This is why we have community groups and Bible studies and men's breakfast and groups that meet together simply to, because I need to hear other people, fellow Christians, talking about Jesus, talking about what they've seen in God's word, talking about what he's teaching them, talk, talking about how he's worked in their life. I am never meant to be the only voice that I'm listening to. We listen to the voice of God and then we allow our Christian brothers and sisters to speak into our lives. When we feel like our faith is strong, we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. When we feel like our faith is failing, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every single day. And then we encourage others to do the same. Everyone you know needs to be encouraged to do this. And so we make it a regular, consistent, daily practice to encourage others to fix their eyes on Jesus. So when we see and consider Jesus, we will, we will be a better family. The family that God has called us to be. And then finally, when we see and consider Jesus, we receive a better rest. The end of chapter 3 reminds us that if we don't believe, then we will not enter into God's rest. And while that is true, we don't just stop reading because it's the end of the chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... The promise of entering his rest still stands. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. God's rest is promised for his people. God's rest is secure for those that believe in Jesus. We are told that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So you don't have to worry that anything or anyone can take you away from Jesus. You can put all your effort simply into fixing your eyes on Jesus. Jesus calls to you today and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest that we have in Jesus is just better. It's better than any other rest that we can work our entire lives to find. Jesus gives us a better rest. Jesus gives us rest from fear of the future. Jesus gives us rest from always focusing on ourselves. Jesus gives us rest from always worrying about what other people think about us. Jesus gives us rest from having to prove ourselves. Jesus gives us rest from working to save ourselves. Jesus gives us rest from desperately trying to find fulfillment in the things of this world. Jesus gives us rest from desperately trying to find something hopeful in the midst of dark and difficult situations. We can rest in him. He is our hope. He is the better things that we are looking for. He is our fulfillment. He is our salvation. In our rest, we can simply fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus and know that he is in control, that he provides, that he is our hope, that he loves us, and that, that he has all power and authority. He fulfills 
all of our needs, we can fully rest in the love of Jesus. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, I am so glad that you are here with us. I want you to know God is calling to you today. Even as we read at the beginning of this passage, today if you hear his voice, the Bible tells us again and again, today is the day of salvation. There is no reason to wait. Today is the day to trust in Jesus. Today is the day to stop looking at yourself, looking at everywhere else, and turn your eyes to Jesus. Trust and believe in him. Today is the day. If you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, it is the sweetest, most wonderful decision you will ever make. He is greater and better than everything else in this world. He is greater than everything else you can put your hope in. And he is inviting you to see him today, to trust in him, to become a part of his family, his house. I'd love to talk to you more about what that means. You can find one of us. There's a tent outside. Talk to one of those people. We would love to talk to you more about this. And for those of us today that are Christians, every day we need to be reminded of who we were before Christ and be reminded of all that Christ has done for us. And so we, each week we take communion together. And for us today as Christians, today is the day to turn our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't get tired of that. We don't let go of it. We don't let sin take hold of our life. We keep believing. We keep trusting in Jesus each and every day. And so in a moment, you're going to come and, and members of, of God's family of this church, they're going to encourage you and remind you to look to Jesus. They will remind you that Jesus is better by telling you that the body of Christ was offered for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. And for those of us that have trusted in Jesus, we're going to take that bread and dip it into that juice and we'll remember all that he has done for us. Let's take, a, let's take a moment and pray, and then we're going to take a couple minutes in, in reflection before we take communion. Father, we, we thank you for the amazing gifts that you have given us. Father, everything that we have is because of you. We need you for everything. Remind us of that today. Remind us that everything that we need, you provide for us richly and fully. Keep, our, keep that in our minds so that, that our hearts won't turn to sin, won't turn to other things to find fulfillment. But that we can find our hope and our joy and our, and, our, and our peace only in you. Remind us of that today. Remind us of that tomorrow. And give us, give us the desire and the willingness to share that with others. To remember that we need to fix our eyes on you and then to call others to do the same. Make that a living truth in our lives each day this week. Father, we, we, we need you for it all. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.